Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Here we are again. How are you all? Hope you're all well. Thanks for coming back. Thanks for tuning in. We're following on with another Saudi focus today. Obviously, we touched on it in our last episode. I tried to give people a bit of an insight. And I thought, let's follow on and keep momentum and speak to somebody who has been living and working there for the last three years. So um, we've got Vinicius on the show today. We placed him in a role in Saudi, I think, about three or so years ago. And he's been there ever since. And these things happen all the time. We say to people, go for a year, see how you get on. They never bloody come home, do they? Uh, so they stay there. So really keen to sort of find out from him what life is like there, why he's there, what the work is like there, what people can expect, etc. Before we do, as always, our fabulous sponsor, Kelly Dixon Estate Management Systems. You're probably bored of hearing about me now talking about it, but it's great. Check her out, Estate Management Systems. Check her website. She has got some fantastic project management tools for those people running properties. She has a bespoke app. You do everything that you need from there, from mobile or from computer. Um, you can also grab a discount with Life in Private Staffing 25. And then finally, just before we start with the show, while you're there on your phone right now, do us a favour. Can you subscribe and give us a little rating? We're really trying to sort of push this out now and get um, it out to as many people as possible. So subscribe and rate. Give it a quick star rating and I will uh, be very grateful. So on with the show. So hello then, Vinicius. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much for inviting me, Philippa. It's been a pleasure to be with you and Silver's fun. Very good. Fabulous. So, so we go way back. I'll just explain to our audience. Silver Swan placed you in your first position in Saudi. How many years ago was that now? Has been three years. Three years when you first went out and then you did a project for us over there and then now you are still out there. So you've been in Saudi, as they had, just over three years. So there's loads I want to talk to you about. We are huge advocates of Saudi Arabia. We do a lot of recruitment there, as you know, and we send lots of people out there year on year. But there is still this like underlying like worry people have about Saudi Arabia and the whole unknown and some people are like think I'm mentally fascinated to go to Saudi so it's really nice to speak to somebody here it's who has been through that journey with us and is now you know enjoying a fabulous career over there so there's loads I want us to talk about so first and foremost where in Saudi right now are you based? I am based in Aulula on the north of the country close borders with Jordan. Perfect. It's meant to be beautiful in Alula. It is. It, it's an unprecedented environment protected by UNESCO. So we are literally exploring now the future of Saudi Arabia, which is in a very ancient archaeological site protected by UNESCO. Amazing. I'm trying, I've Googled it and I've sort of looked at pictures and stuff for Lula, and it's just... Um, I don't know. It's just not what people expect. I just, I'm, I'm 100% visiting. In the next, by end of, where are we now? End of 2023, I'd like to have visited. That's my little, uh, my little goal for myself. I'll ring you when I come. Well, this is facilitated now with Saudia. There are flights, of course, from London Heathrow to Riyadh. And from Riyadh, you can take a connection with Saudi Airlines straight to Alula. How long is the flight from Riyadh? So it's a one hour and a half flight with Saudia. Perfect. Well, there we go. So it's obviously accessible now. Where are you originally from then? Where were you born? I'm born in Brazil, in the capital of Brazil. Fab. So really far away. <laughs> okay. So you're now working as a head butler in one of the most really, really high end and you've worked in some very luxurious private properties over in Saudi. So take us right back to where your journey began, because how did a young lad in Brazil 
end up as head butler in Alula. So where did it all start for you? How did you get into butlering in the first place? Fantastic. That's a great question that most of my hotelier friends and hospitality colleagues, they do ask me. Everything began in the back of 2018, more or less 13 years ago, when I had the first opportunity to join W Hotels. So we know W is a very fancy, sleek hotel brand. In that time, we were under Starwood Hotels and Resorts in the United States, and especially in New York. And they decided to open the first W in Qatar, in Doha. So they brought me in as a welcome ambassador. And for me, it was just a wow opportunity to join the brand. From that moment, I decided to stay in the Middle East. And then I navigated through Dubai, through other brands, including Bujal Arab and uh, other properties and corporate office under Dubai Holdings. And until I nailed down my career as a butler, in which I were invited on behalf of Silver Swan to join a very wealthy family in Saudi Arabia. So um, it has been fantastic, honestly, 13 years in which I don't regret. Mm. I think a lot of people that go over to Saudi have normally come from sort of quite large environments, whether it's hotels or cruise ships, just because the properties over there are so big. Which is correct. I believe Saudi Arabia now as the vision that we have, we call Vision 2030, under the patronage of His Highness, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, now is to open and to showcase the best of this country and the culture and the heritage. So there's a lot improvement in terms of touristic and domestic markets, locally and internationally. And now when it, we talk about colleagues coming from cruise ships or large hotels, yes, because we need that stamina, we need that passion in terms of serving others and understanding others. And of course, to lead as example for the Saudi citizens in which they are very new into the market in, in hospitality. So it's kind of a shadowing process uh, in which we exchange with each other this um sympathy and know-how between cultures, language and skills. And this is where we are going through now. I remember a few years ago, Dubai, which is in United Arab Emirates, were the, the hub for hospitality. But now people, they're shifting their careers to Saudi Arabia and other Gulf countries. It's definitely a really exciting time in Saudi. Like we keep a really close eye on sort of Neom and the 2030 vision and what they're doing. And it's just becoming really more talked about. There's adverts on TV here in England about Neom and spending a lot of time and a lot of money in the build up to it. But it's by the looks of it going to be just something absolutely incredible and completely unique to what we've ever seen before. It's really exciting. Good time to be out there. I trust that this is an unprecedented opportunity for everyone that would like to kicking their careers or to continue what they like to do in terms of as entrepreneurship or businesses or um, hospitality, for me, I see as a land of opportunities. As I have given the example, Dubai before were this land of opportunity, but somehow now I feel it's quite oversaturated. And Dubai is already established the way it is. Now, the Saudi now has the opportunity to change things that other GCC countries didn't have the opportunity to do so. And as I said, with the patronage of the crown prince, he's leading towards a massive change in terms of infrastructure, entertainment, hospitality, aviation. All the industry here is under an extremely revolution, technology and etc. So the Saudi society as well is cheering up 
their morale and excited to see these changes coming through. So we are more or less eight years behind the the legacy of the 2030 vision and Neom City, as you have mentioned. So especially where I am in the north of the country, these are all being pushed by the Saudi government to be developed. So there's a lot of great things coming. Mm, very, very exciting. I also quite like, and um, they're doing a huge campaign about saying that something like 70% of the employment, new employment opportunities are going to have in the country. They want to be filled by locals which is really great. They're going to be really investing in their own people and training their own people for a lot of the opportunities and then only bringing in people from the outside for these sort of extra sort of little bit, which I think is, again, great for the country. Which is correct. Um, I truly and strongly believe that all the new generation of the Saudi society, which is quite new and young in terms of exchanging know-how, skills, knowledge, and etc., they are very keen for that, especially into hospitality and tourism sector. So as we speak, I have a lot of great colleagues from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, from Riyadh, from Jeddah, from Aulula, from Tabuk. <laughs> so they're all now mm. with us, join with this joint effort to open this unprecedented and beautiful property within this Asian Valley. Amazing. And so let's talk about your role as a butler then. So you were obviously an experienced butler before you came to Saudi three years ago. When you moved over to Saudi and you did your first role through Silver Swan, was there a huge amount for you to learn in terms of your work as a butler? Were there lots of similarities to working in the UAE or how did you find that transition? Silver Swan opened door for me. Many doors, in fact, not only one. <laughs> um, mm. So I would like to highlight that definitely were a big change for me. Um, I never saw things in terms of high quality and high standards ever before. Even if I come from luxury high-end hospitality brands or luxury hotel conglomerates, but I never worked for such a unique client, such a great family. So I had the opportunity to put all that skills and expertise throughout the years in action. So it was kind of a fairy tale mixed with hospitality services. <laughs> so that's why I said, if I have to do it, I will do it over and over again. And I totally endorse people decisions to say, oh my God, should I do it? Should I not? I'm a female. I'm a gentleman. You know, they have this kind of worry and concern coming to Saudi Arabia, but I definitely say, go on and this is going to be a life-changing opportunity. 100%. And I would even say to people, even if you go there and it's not somewhere you want to live for a long time, do it for a year. Experience a culture, save some money, then come home to, to give it a go. And then for, there's so many people that we, over the years we've sort of said, go and do it for a year, you contract a year anyway, save up, come back, buy a house, whatever, just see it for like the money. And then so many of those people say, okay, cool, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go for a year and then don't come back. And they're still there like you. So they're still there three, four years later. So it's obviously there's obviously a lot keeping people there, which is nice. I believe my successful story with Silver Swan and my destiny were hand in hand. So. I had the passion for the Gulf or for the Middle East culture. I knew it, the land before and somehow the society. And then Silver Swan were the cherry on my cake because that were like the golden keys for my career. So I definitely encourage ladies and gentlemen um, throughout the world to experience this on their careers. Certainly, they are not obliged to stay. They don't want to. However, most of them, they understand that is not what they thought, is not what they saw on the media, is not what 
people talked about. So once they come to the land and they spend the first six months, they say, oh my God, it's totally different than I, than I expected. Mm, exactly. Everybody says the same. Um, in terms of the work itself then, so if we're being truly honest, do you find clients, high levels of royal clients in Saudi, difficult clients to work for? Do you work long hours? Talk us through sort of what your days sort of look like working as a butler there. I would say every luxury, high-end property, it doesn't matter if it's for a private family or a boutique hotel, there are certain elements that it requires a lot of attention to details, responsibilities, and uh, passion to serve others. Myself here in Saudi Arabia, as we have a certain degree of wealth and possibilities, yes, our guests or our clients, they become very attentive into what they want and what they like and when they want and when it has to be done. So these all-around services, it doesn't matter for me if it's in private families, wealthy families around the world in Saudi or into high-end hotels. So wealth and luxury throughout my hospitality career, I understood that is all around the world. The type of clientele that we have, they either here, either they Maldives, either they are in Monaco, or they can be traveling to London, New York, uh, Paris, or anywhere in which comprise businesses, money, and opportunities. So there is a trend in they're seeking the best, they're seeking to experience new type of entertainment, the best of food and beverage, and their techniques, and new types of restaurants and uh, other amenities. So I would not say that they are harder compared to other markets, but I believe they are more refined or they are more interested to have the best. I believe that's the best way to describe. They always want to have the best. And I think that's fair enough. And, you know, it's quite a nice environment to be in a position where you can give the best. It's not like some, you know, hotels and restaurants across the world where, the answers can often be no out there. You have the resources and the means and the staff and the number of staff and the properties and to be able to work around the clock and deliver sort of what they need. How have you found living in Saudi? Work aside, how do you, do you, what, yeah, do you enjoy living there? How do you find the heat? What do you do in your spare time? Well, um, let's start by the weather. Many people have this in, in, their, in the back of their minds thinking, Oh my God, how people live, where they go, what they do. So we have to remember that this part of the world, it doesn't matter uh, if it's United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Oman, all the GCC countries during the summer, more or less, they are the same. So between end of April until um, September, it can be very warm. And now we are reaching the peak. So between June August, July, it's extremely, can be sometimes unpleasant when you're outdoor. So if you're outdoor, of course, temperatures can be very dry and reach 45 degrees. However, we are always indoors. There are air conditioner everywhere. The management and other colleagues, they always tell us to seek shade and to have breaks and to hydrate ourselves. So when we are in the big cities like Jeddah or Riyadh, you have all the facilities. So it's a normal life. Now we have even the metro, which has opened recently in Riyadh. So you don't feel much of the heat. You know the heat is there when you go out, but and then you get into a vehicle, there's an air conditioner, so you go around to do whatever is 
your next responsibility. So I would say you adapted to it because winter is being between October and March, which is very, very, very pleasant. It can be very cold sometimes throughout the night. So winter, of course, it's a high season. Everybody wants to experience. But now as we speak that I'm, I'm leaving throughout the summer, it's just hours through the day that is unpleasant in the terms of you feel the heat. And we know that this cannot be changed. And it's not only here in Saudi Arabia. Throughout the Gulf countries, all of them, they have to go through this heat. So temperatures start slowing down only on September. And then it goes down to zero degrees during the peak of the winter until March. It's such a vast contrast, isn't there? In the UK, I know we moan in the UK a lot, but it kind of varies generally between 5 degrees and 25 degrees. That's kind of your window from top to bottom. You guys are going from 0 degrees to 45 degrees. It's a huge range. But like you say, you can't do anything about it. You've learned to live with it. We spoke to a DJ recently on this podcast who went over for the first time and loved it. She was like, you just kind of climatize. You just kind of get used to it. You know, it's it's not this huge, great big issue anymore. You just structure your day around when you want to be outside, inside, when to do certain jobs. But I suppose difficulty in hospitality um, is you're probably having to dress quite smart as well. I assume you probably wear suits, do you? Or are you able to dress a little bit more informally? Now they're very flexible. And the the mentality about wearing a suit have changed throughout the years, Um, especially when you work with a high net worth clientele and guests. So um, the uniforms now, they're more casual on the summer, but they're more refined during the winter. So we have, I would say, two or three types of outfits throughout the year in which we can rotate according to the weather. And they are very flexible to understand that it's not because you wear a suit, it means you're going to be elegant (laughs) because you need to be Mm. refined to, to be elegant after all. You need to have the manners. So they understand that perhaps now we can be smart Smart with a smart casual uh, suit, for instance, without a tie or with a shirt and a jacket, you know. So even the the female and colleagues, the the, the dresses, they are more like a linen and cotton and light shades for the summer, and then it changed through the winter. So I would say it's pleasant, it's comfortable. For people that never have been here, of course, they might going to feel the heat during the summer, but if they arrive on the winter, it's very easy to adapt into the environment. Yeah, lovely. Okay, great. And then in terms of sort of your life then, so is it all about work? Is there a social scene? Do you have time off? Um, how does that work? As I said, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia have changed a lot, especially on the past five years. A lot have been brought to the country to attract both expats and the new Saudi society, which is very young, in between 25 to 30 years old. So it's a large population spread out through the country. We have cinemas, we have shopping malls, we have all the best food and beverage restaurants and outlets. We have pop-up restaurants coming from London, Paris, New York, and Asia throughout the winter season, which they call winter at Tantura here in the north of the country. So you order online, there's a lot of shopping online. Uh, The e-commerce is very powerful here. So it's a very vibrant lifestyle as well. I don't think it deviates from the Western society, as people like to say that. Nevertheless, the most important is the safety of this country is paramount. Of course, I'm from Brazil. I can't say Brazil, it's fully safe to be as a tourist. However, 
it's totally safe to walk here throughout the night, throughout the day, or it doesn't matter, honestly. Whatever you decide to be, the time that you decide to be, you are safe. So here in the Gulf or in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, we have the lowest crime rate in the world. It's almost zero. And uh, you feel safe, you feel well, you feel free to do things that you like to do. So now we focus as well in a lot of wellness, yoga sessions, running, jogging, a lot of sports coming through the country as well, tennis. Um, so, of course, it's according to each individual. But for me, there's a lot of leisure opportunities when we talk about Saudi. So the society have changed. So it means opportunities to explore entertainment have changed as well. Yeah, nice. I suppose the only major difference is it's um it's alcohol free. You must have, you must feel fabulous having not drunk for three years. I'd love that. <laughs> well, there are talks that very soon Saudi won't be a dry country anymore. So I believe in the near future Saudi Arabia will follow the path of Qatar. Qatar they serve alcohol only on the restaurants throughout the hotels in which now everybody's trying to follow more or less the leadership from the United Arab Emirates, in which people, they just walk into a small shop, a liquor store, and they buy their alcohol. Before we need to have a license in Dubai, I remember a few years ago, you have to apply for your license to have a no objection certificate. And it was a very tough procedure, but now things are more relaxed. So Qatar, now they come for the World Cup and they serve throughout restaurants and hotels and i believe very soon saudi will abolish too wow yeah what it's just a matter like the last 10 15 years in saudi it's just incredible it's such a good it's such positive move forwards isn't it it's such a different country it's so great i trust again the changes and the reforms that the government is doing is for the benefit of the population and the expat community that lives here and of course, the tourism industry now is going to be vital for the economy of the kingdom. So these reforms slowly, they're being implemented throughout the daily lifestyle of the people. So as well, the government is very cautious not to shock and not to hurt nobody. Um, so things are being taken step by step, very cautiously, very consciously. However, I believe that on the next five to 10 years, we're going to have a lot of international travelers coming throughout, in and out the country. It's going to be the next the next hotspot destination in the Middle East. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a bit more about your current situation. So tell us about your work, your position right now, and where you're working. Fantastic. So as we speak, we are opening this beautiful property in the north of the country, in Aulula. As a head butler, I outlook 28 villas, luxury villas, one, two, and three bedrooms, along with little tents, Arabic tents or Bedouin tents, but very luxury, very unique. 77,000 square meters of, would say, valley, which is an archaeological site uh, in Aulula. It's an historical place that has 2,000 to 3,000 years of history back to the Nabataeans and uh, the Roman Empire. So there's a lot of history to be learned here because if we will go back to centuries ago most of the richness and heritage of the world comes from this part of the world so now we are 
having the opportunity to make history in this property. And as a head butler, I have a fantastic team. It's a multicultural team in which we develop for our guests and our clients from Saudi and from abroad, very unique experiences throughout Aulula and within the property. So um, it's a boutique hotel, but to with the feeling that we want to provide that you live on the Asian time. So uh, it's very exciting. Very exciting. What's the size of your team? How many people are you going to have working under you? So as we speak, I have 10 colleagues for the pre-opening and the whole front office department, we comprise more than 35 colleagues. So it's a large team. Most of them are locals, are Saudis, and we really support them to join our project. As I said, it's an exchange of know-how, skills, knowledge, culture. Of course, on the other hand, we need as well the support of expats. We have more expats coming through. However, we always try to balance the team members. So it's both male, female from Saudi Arabia and from more than 30 nationalities. That's amazing. So anyone listening, you need to check it out. This is the, these are the kind of properties and projects you want to be involved in, especially now as you know, things are about to sort of like really sort of move forward as a country. Brilliant. Okay, so one thing I always ask people, you've been working as a butler for many years now across, you know, different countries. You must have come across some fairly out there requests when it comes to clients needing things. Is there anything in particular you can share with us? Any mad client requests you've had? Yes, I remember here in the Middle East, I had a client in which she wanted to have her bath, her facial ritual as i would say or wherever she were located she wanted only to have avian water and that was quite hard because when i brought the engineering team in the property to have the assessment what we would do for her they said well the only option we have is to fill a tank with avian water because <laughs> she didn't want to have the tap water. And so we have purchased tons and tons from Evian distributor here in the Middle East. And we prepared this tank on top of the property and we filled manually. And there we go. So, I mean, it was a very unique uh, moment in my, on my career. She could have just had a filter put on the tap water and have filtered water, but it had to specifically be Evian in her bath. Wow. <laughs> well, this is um, something, as I said, perhaps the comprehension, it's a very healthy water. That's what is marketed in Europe, right? And I, I don't mm. disqualify the brand, even though the taste from Evian is different. So perhaps they really believe that it's going to be good for skin, for the hair and for the daily lifestyle. So the challenge is just how you canalize through the property, you know, because you simply can't open a tap and say, oh, now it's Evian water, you know, but I will never forget that. And you were probably having to refill that tank really frequently. Every two hours. Oh my God, two hours. I was going to say two days. Wow. Every two hours because it goes through the washroom, it goes through the shower, it goes through the bathtub, it goes through the tap. So everything had to be Evian and of course it goes easily. So as we have small bottles, I would say one liter, which is the biggest capacity being sold by Evian. So one liter to fill a tank, it takes a lot of time and uh, well, it's a preparation, right? So it has to be filled every two hours. 
the money that this costs is just insane. The effort. <laughs> oh, this is why this is why I love our industry. Our clients are nuts. <laughs> Brilliant now. Brilliant. It's what keeps our jobs interesting, isn't it? You know, you never know who's going to come through your door next and what they're going to ask for. But to have the resources and the ability to accommodate things like that is just incredible. Absolutely. Great. Fab, we're on to a little section now, which I like to do, where you have the opportunity to ask me a question, if you would like. Well, as part of being employed by Silver Swan and being following um, throughout these years, and uh, thanks to Michael. <laughs> Michael's been very patient mm-hmm. with us, and he's been a lovely gentleman. He looked after us very well. So I think the question is, how Silver Swan began? When this lovely idea began as a British institution comes into the middle of the desert. Okay, well, I'll do a very quick sum of how it began because I've sort of, people are bored of me talking about it. But we started, I started back in the day when I used to work in the chalet industry and I set up the company initially to service luxury chalets in Europe because that was the world I was from. And then over the years, it just sort of quickly grew to do chalets and villas and then the owners of the chalets and villas had homes and yachts and we just really got good relationships with the principals who had multiple homes. And then specifically how we got into the Middle East is um, I got contacted personally by a representative of a client in the Middle East who you, you'll know very well, but I can't say. And it was probably, how long ago did this happen? 2017, I think it was, so five years ago, um, we got initially contacted to put together a team of about 40 or 50 for a opening of a new property in Saudi and we had like our usual thing. We've got two days, three days to get 50 people together. And we can't wow. tell you where they're going, what they're doing, who they're working for. But can you do it? We said yes. And we did. And it's basically gone nuts from there. And I think the reason we've done well in Saudi is because, as you know, with a lot of Arabs, is they want everything yesterday, generally. <laughs> and I think the way a lot of agencies here in Europe are structured is you work Monday to Friday, nine to five, and you have a team and and you sort of do the work that comes in. And a lot of agencies don't have the ability to just say yes to these mental requests and do them. But at the time, we were a really small agency. I think there's literally like two or there was two or three of us at the time. And I pretty much did everything. I had a couple of people that helped, but it was I think it was weird. I think if maybe if they knew I was such a small agency, they probably wouldn't have asked me. They maybe maybe they thought I was bigger than I was. But the, but the benefit to me being a small agency and that I did everything is I could just say yes and work twenty four seven over three days and get it done. It's not like I was um, leaving the office at five o'clock and then not picking up my emails right. till Monday. And I think if this would request it came on a Saturday morning, if this request on a Saturday morning had gone to say five agencies, I reckon four of those agencies wouldn't have found it till Monday morning. Whereas I found it on Saturday morning. I spoke to the client half an hour later. I was in the office half an hour later. I didn't leave for three days. And then the job was done. So I think at the time, we were fortunate that we were small enough to, we're small enough that we were agile to drop everything to service these projects. But at the same time, I think I was also naive enough at the time to be like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. Without realizing that actually this is quite a big ask. But you did well, Philippa. This is fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what it worked well. The fact that if I hadn't have answered that email on Saturday morning, if I'd have waited till Monday, or if I'd have been on holiday, or been at a wedding, or if I'd have been somewhere on that Saturday morning, where I wasn't able to email back immediately, we honestly wouldn't be here today doing Middle East. It was the fact that I happened to be, I remember vividly, I was laying in bed, I remember vividly this email coming in. 
And I thought, this doesn't sound right. This sounds a bit, it just sounded a bit dodged, to be honest. And even right. on the email, it said, like, this is a genuine, urgent request. And I'm thinking, that's what, that's what scammers say. So I took it all with a pinch of salt. And I thought, well, let's just sort of see. And actually, I was like, it was one of those, I don't want to say I'm lucky that I'm there. I'm lucky that I was available to deal with that client inquiry there and then and take it seriously enough that we delivered. But then I suppose we're not lucky after that because after that, we've earned every, everything we've done. And after that, the client was like, wow, that's amazing. And on the, it was like Saturday morning. We got to like the, the Tuesday morning. I met the principal in London with this team of 50, took them all down Bond Street, got them all kitted out, got them on a private jet and got them out. So it was one of those like whirlwind like projects. But then the client was like, that was amazing. Staff are great. Let's do it again. And since then, I, I need to count how many people we've sent to Saudi in the last five years. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, over 500. We, we easily do 100 a year, more than that probably. And I've just so loved it. Obviously, it's a lucrative project for us. So it's like great in that sense. But more than that, it's way more than money for me. It's like brought me into this incredible world that I knew nothing about. A bit like what happened to you three years ago. You've been, this door's been opened for me as it was for you, this world. And it's just like amazing. And we are, it sounds so cringy, but like a lot of the work that we do over in Saudi, I honestly believe that we change lives. Like we send people like yourself and other, and other people, they, they come from a completely different world. And then this door gets opened and then, you know, you're now in a completely different sort of career path than you would have been having not gone to Saudi. So I feel like what I love about all the work we do in Saudi, the opportunities it creates for the people that move over there, for those that are brave enough to move over there, like their lives are literally changed off the back of it. And I just find that incredibly rewarding. Like I absolutely love that we have the ability to do this for people. Well, I just can endorse your words and to say thank you to you, Michael, and all the colleagues from Silver Swanning, which have been very patient with us because, of course, on the other hand, it wasn't an easy process, as you have said. They wanted yesterday, but then we don't want anymore, and then we were on standby, and then we are back again, you know, but in the end, they all wanted. So, yes, I have to be very thankful, and other colleagues are thankful as well, because even though that... We moved on, but we progressed in our careers and we decided to stay within the region in which opened doors for us. So certainly it's fabulous to see the impact that Silverstone left on people's life. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's so great. It's so great. I'm going to go and travel. I went to Saudi early last year. I'm 100% going back. It's such a great country. Do you ever go back home to Brazil? Do you ever take time to go back or are you sort of there quite permanently? Absolutely. So every six months, if I wanted to, I can just speak with the management and I can go for a 15 days holiday in Brazil or anywhere in the world. So they are very flexible into that. Lovely. That's nice. It's nice to, again, have the freedom to sort of come and go with everybody. I think a work-life balance is very important and obviously seeing family, etc. So, oh, that's really great. So look, I want to thank you so much for your time. You know, you've been part of Silver Swan for ages. And when I said to my team about, I want to get somebody on that works in Saudi, Michael straight away said, um, you need to speak to uh, Vinicius because he's still there and he's now doing amazing things. So thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story and giving some insights into working and living in Saudi. And um, let's keep in touch. When I'm coming to Alalula, which I will do, I'm going to give you a call and come see your hotel. 
Absolutely, Philip. It's been a remarkable pleasure. Thank you to you. Thank you to Michael and all the colleagues from Silverstrand. And uh, hopefully this podcast can enlighten the minds, the heart and the vision of people about Saudi Arabia and, of course, the future opportunities that Silverstrand share with so many professionals out there. Thank you so much once again. You're welcome. Thank you ever so much. So fabulous. Thanks once again, Finicius. Oh, I just love speaking to people that are just doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just great. Especially with Saudi. You have so many people that have all their opinions and all their, ugh, whatever, negative views on working in uh, the Gulf. And um, it's nice to actually speak to someone that's doing it and hasn't it for a while and um, honest opinion. So thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. As always, you know where we are. Come check us out, especially if you're interested in Saudi. We have a team dedicated to recruiting for the country of Saudi Arabia in our office um, at the moment. And we are always hiring. We have probably three or four minimum projects at any one time, each project needing large numbers of staff. So we're always looking for butlers of any level, housekeepers of any level, chefing, and then we get, you know, quite more unique ones. We are, you know, from childcare to driving to barbers to spa therapists. So everything's on our website. We have roles in Saudi at the moment. We have roles across UAE. We have roles in Kuwait at the moment. So everything is on our website. Come and check it out. Go and look at the Middle East section. You'll see everything on there. And then once you apply, if you are, you'll, you'll see on your app straight away, you can track your application live through our candidate portal. So you apply, you'll see if you go into my jobs on your candidate profile, you'll see your application status and if you're rejected or if you're shortlisted. And then the minute you're shortlisted, someone will be in touch, you'll have your interview. Then patience is key with these roles because the process with any of our roles in Saudi, Kuwait will be quicker, but in Saudi can take anything from, you know, six weeks up to, six months sometimes so it can be a really long process but generally we like to we like to get people from interview process out within sort of six to eight weeks so and that's mainly because of a background screen there's very thorough background screening and vetting that happens and all of this stuff takes time and then when there's no travel restrictions we'll get you out quite quick when there are travel restrictions which happen all the time and um, it can take a bit longer so patience is key and then yeah do apply you you are notified either way so even if you're rejected you will know we're not the kind of agency to never get back to you and often people that comment on LinkedIn saying you've never got back to me when we check we have you've unfortunately been rejected and a reason will have been provided the one thing to bear in mind with these roles in the Middle East is the clients give us very specific profiles and criteria of what they want so different projects are different but some projects give us you know certain type of profiles when it comes to nationality due to visas they give us age brackets but not too strict it's more we need people sort of fit and able to sort of get around and then type in an experience and then their nationalities will change so when we're recruiting for projects if they have lots of French already we'll try and balance it out and try and get some other nationalities so do apply do get in touch the benefit of applying is when you apply through our candidate portal you're automatically pulled into our database so anyone that creates a profile in our candidate portal whether you apply to jobs or not you're pulled into our database and then we have your details for, uh, you know on file for future reference so it's not a bad thing if you come and apply and even if you're rejected the benefit to that process is we then still have your details and we know that you're interested in working Saudi so another new role could come in tomorrow with different sets of criteria and we could get straight back in touch with you so come and check us out silversunrecruitment.com obviously if you're looking for work anywhere else around the world we've got a lot going on at the moment across Europe across UK America's going nuts at the minute so we're a busy agency at the minute we've got a lot of roles get in touch 
and similarly if you're looking for staff if you're looking for staff obviously we've candidates coming out of our ears <laughs> loads so silverswanrecruitment.com you can get in touch with me directly philippa at silverswanrecruitment.com also across our socials LinkedIn etc so thank you all once again for checking in if you've not already give us a subscribe give us a rating um, and I will see you all in a couple of weeks alright cheers everyone